Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grafted Life podcast. My name is Adam Ormord, and I am the Executive Director of Grafted Life Ministries and ESDA. I'm actually recording this intro for this episode from a retreat center outside of Wichita, Kansas. I've never been here before. It's my first time. And one of our ESDA members is a spiritual director. She runs this retreat center. It's called Whispering Meadows Retreat. I'd encourage you to check it out. It's wonderful, especially if you live in the area. Beautiful home, incredible hospitality. Your soul will be well taken care of, I promise. I'm actually here because I'm attending the Apprentice Gathering 2022. It's incredible to be with about 500 people uh, excited about spiritual formation. And uh, actually, one of the best parts so far has been worshiping together, singing together, hearing so many voices proclaiming the glory of God and and declaring His majesty in in a wonderful, beautiful church setting on the campus of Friends University. Today's episode, though, um, I'm really excited about it and want to just set it up for you. Our special guests are Beth and Dave Burham. Beth and Dave run a retreat center in the heart of Indianapolis, Indiana. It's called Fall Creek Abbey. Dave and Beth have joined our podcast today to talk about a really important subject, something that has hit home in their life in a very real way recently. And that's the subject of suffering. You know, it's really hard to go through life unscathed, maybe even impossible. Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so suffering isn't something we can avoid. It's certainly not something we wish, not on ourselves, not on our loved ones, not even on our enemies. Yet suffering is a place where if we allow God and God's Spirit to really move into this space with us, great transformation often comes out of our suffering. A deeper awareness of the the closeness, the presence, the, the goodness of God, even a joy that settles in the midst of, of pain and, and kind of moves sorrow even out of the way. This is a very powerful subject. It's an important subject. It's a hard subject. I hope that if you're listening to this and you're going through a hard time right now, you're you're suffering, you're experiencing painful loss or fear or something difficult going on, that God would minister to you through this conversation. And if you know someone who needs to hear this conversation, please pass this on to them. I'm so thankful for Dave and for Beth for their willingness to open up with us, share their hearts, tell us what's going on in their lives, then point us to the love, to the loving embrace of Jesus who holds us in this space of suffering. Dave and Beth Borum, it is such a joy and a delight for me to welcome you to the Grafted Life podcast. This is a new endeavor for us. I think this is episode five. And so actually you you are the first people to join our podcast that are kind of outside of the staff or the kind of the beginnings of Grafted Life. We've just taken the last few episodes to introduce this ministry and get a little bit behind the scenes. But here we are. And so I'm so grateful that you 
you would be the first guest that we get to to have on our our podcast. So thank you very much. Well, we're honored to be with you. Uh, and we didn't know that we were your inaugural guest <laughs> outside your ministry, but thanks for entrusting this time to us. Absolutely. We were so thrilled to Adam when we um, saw the announcement about you becoming the executive director of Grafton Life and uh, overseeing ESDA. So that was a real thrill to us knowing a little bit about your journey. It feels like you've landed in a good, your sweet mm-hmm. spot. Thank you. Seems from this direction. Thank you. And I appreciate your encouragement. That that came early on when that announcement came out and it was, it was a, it was a boon to my heart. So thank you very much. But but let us know how, how's Fall Creek Abbey doing? Yeah. Well, we did just celebrate what we felt like was a milestone of Mm -hmm. 10 years of ministry through this really quiet behind the scenes in many ways, um, retreat opportunity for people. So we live just two miles north of downtown Indianapolis in a hundred and plus year old home. It was built around 1910. Mm. Um, We have three floors. There are four guest rooms and then a main floor space that we use for our spiritual direction training and small retreats. So we host individuals for day retreats and overnight retreats. We'll have somebody slipping in here while we're um, recording this and a couple other people coming later this evening who will be spending some time of quiet and solitude here. It's a little bit of a unique ministry of retreat um, opportunity because we do live here in, in the house. And so it's a very personalized welcome. And when people come, they actually join us at our table and I prepare meals and serve meals to them and we um, engage in rich and meaningful conversation. So I think for whatever reason, that seems to be part of the mojo of Fall Creek Abbey. (laughs) And we can also tell you that in 10 years of ministry, we we don't have the exact numbers, but we're fairly confident we've hosted over 10,000 people. Wow. Um, while it is quiet and kind of behind the scenes, it's not um, it's not insignificant in terms of the number of people that have come. Absolutely, yes. And I know that you have published some books as well. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about one of them that came out before um, uh, before the whole pandemic of 2020. It's called When Faith Becomes Sight, which was uh, written by both of you, and then also a book that was very uh, important in my journey. That came out even prior to that was called Starting Something New. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of our journey of trying to decide as uh, Rebecca and I were thinking about, did God want us to start some kind of a soul care ministry? Mm-hmm. And uh, we used your book and worked through a lot of this discernment in that uh, and, and believing that God was directing us towards some, some kind of soul care ministry. So I commend that book. Uh, and then when faith becomes sight, we'll jump into a little bit more later on. But I have been um, able to to visit Fall Creek Abbey uh, and would just attest to um, the peace, the quiet, the the kind of hospitality that you provide there. And I would just say anybody listening to this needs to um, check this ministry out and consider whether a, a trip to Indy would be um, something God's inviting you guys to. And you don't, the thing is I live in Colorado and everybody thinks you got to go up to a mountain retreat place, you know, to get away and be with God. 
And I lived actually more in a rural area in Indiana, and I would drive into the city on my soul care day to meet there and have spiritual direction at, at your home. And I felt like it was a very peaceful place to go to. And then I even spent some time, I spent one night or two nights, I can't remember, on retreat uh, there. And I just attest to exactly what you said. This is a, a quiet place, a great place to rest, recover, and um, and, and just be invited into your, your family's rhythm. And um, thank you. Thank you for the ministry you provide. I really do. Uh, I think that of the thousands of people who have come through your doors, uh, mm-hmm. they've all been blessed and uh, will continue to be blessed by that. So hey, can I ask a question about how you all found yourselves uh, having this vision, this dream for this urban retreat center? How did how did this all come about? Yeah, yeah I was going to say we like the fact that it's in the city because we think that it is helpful to encourage people that you really can become still within the context of real life and real life is all around us. If you took a walk in our neighborhood, you would see a lot of colorful life Mm -hmm. that reminds you of that. But yeah, so the vision came really um, probably about 12 or 13 years ago when I was in a real funk vocationally, David and I had been on staff at a mega church Um, as it so often happens, just had a very difficult parting from that church, felt very wounded by the experience, were really broken, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Immediately, David felt this compelling desire to kind of do something non-traditional in terms of ministry, and he started a career counseling practice. I still felt more drawn to vocational ministry in the traditional sense, so I served on the staff of a couple other churches But all the while, I felt like there was something in my heart that was yearning to be birthed, and I didn't know what it was. And so after several years, the thought had come to me, because I'd been meeting with a spiritual director for a number of years, I thought, well, I wonder if I would appreciate receiving some training to offer spiritual direction. Maybe that would really fit the shape of my own soul in my own gifting. So I looked around for some trainings. I found one in Cincinnati, which is just about two hours from Indy. And it was being offered through Sustainable Faith, which is a nonprofit. Mm, It was at the time in this gorgeous old convent, which was Mm. really cool in an urban setting in Cincinnati. So I went down there over the course of nine months, several times, would be there for a few days each time. And as I soaked in the beauty of this place and and just took in everything that was happening through the convent, Dave and Jody Nixon and their ministry of training spiritual directors, but then living in community with uh, their church, something started to really click for me. And I would sit there and just take in a scene and it would be like a, a frame that got frozen in my brain and I'd come home and I'd relive it. I'd revisit that picture and I'd remember what it felt like. And finally was able to say, I love what they're doing. Mm. I would like to do what they're doing. I wish I could do what they're doing in Indy. You know, Mm. is that a thing? And so, you know, after sharing the vision with David, he was absolutely supportive, my best cheerleader, but he also assured me it wouldn't be his thing. Mm. It was hugely disappointing (laughs) at the time. But I felt like if, if God really is drawing me toward this vision, I need to, I need to uh, take this seriously and explore it. So I started to lean in, 
wrote a business plan, started networking. And before long, we got some traction. David caught a vision for it. And Mm -hmm. within uh, a couple of years, and it was not a straight shot, by the way, it was a circuitous path. We finally uh, landed here in this gorgeous old home in this wonderful neighborhood and uh, just really love what we are able to do through Fall Creek Camping. Mm-hmm. Adam, I, um, I love to hear Beth tell this story, but um, in line with our topic today of suffering, I'm thinking of that last year with this mega church that she mm-hmm. described. And I can almost say that the path of suffering was, mm-hmm. was um, we had always been a part of large-scale vision-driven organizations with large scope and, and, and scale our entire ministry career. And suffering was the path of weaning us off of being enamored mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with kind of the trajectory we had been on. And so it totally interrupted that. It put us in places we we likely would have never chosen to have gone. So what we're doing now um, was born out of suffering. was born out of suffering. Oh. We've never been on our mind had we not. Uh, and it wasn't just a ABC kind of thing. Like Beth said, it was a circuitous path right. in the suffering, beyond the suffering to, to come to this place. Mm. Perfect. Thank you for that lead in. Um, the the power of the the suffering that we we all wish we could avoid uh, at any cost. Uh, yet that doesn't seem to be uh, how God works usually in our lives. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to get real personal uh, in your lives here because uh, you can talk about suffering from twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, and sure there have been also seasons of suffering along the way. I can only imagine buying a house that was 100 years old and thinking, oh no, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into this. I think of that movie, The Money Pit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, two more weeks, just two more weeks. Um, it's the three walnut trees I suffer through every year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But all kidding aside, uh, you have been... Um, kind of swiftly caught in a current of suffering just within the last few months on, on even on the other side of the whole pandemic and COVID. And um, so, so thank you for being willing to share some of your story about where you're at right now. And um, I just want to bring up um, your granddaughter, Harper, and uh, talk a little bit about the journey that she's on and that you are all on as a family. Just a few months ago, and maybe you can give us some more details, um, you heard some pretty hard news about your granddaughter. Would you like to share some of that? Yeah, yeah so on uh, on a Tuesday at the beginning of May, I think it was May 4th, our son and daughter-in-law and their family got up and what felt like a normal day, uh, but Harper had a doctor's appointment because uh, Laura had been noticing that she was just showing some signs of fatigue and fever spikes a few times, nothing really dramatic, but just enough to say, maybe we want to have you checked out. Took her to the doctor in the morning. They drew blood. Said, we'll just, you know, make sure we're thorough about making, you know, that she's, you know, not suffering from anything that we're not aware of. And by noon, they had gotten a call from the doctor's office 
telling them that they wanted them to go straight to Riley Children's Hospital. Hmm. They had grave concern that Harper had leukemia. Her white blood cell count was four times what it should be. Mm -hmm. Maybe more than that. I can't remember now the numbers. So our son called and sobbing and Mm -hmm. asked us if we could go and pick up the boys from school and take them, bring them home with us. And so that began this totally unexpected journey that has just blindsided us as a family and particularly our son, Brant and his wife, Laura, and their children, Eli, Riley, and Harper. So Harper at age nine is in the midst of some really intensive uh, treatments with chemotherapy, Mm. which are no picnic. And Mm. it is a roller coaster um, in terms of what it's going to take for her to Mm. serve. Mm -hmm. So very sorry that that has become part of your story, your family's story, yeah. and Harper's story, and um, living in that hard space of uh, just the unknown. How's she doing? How's she going to do? When when do you find out the results of the next test? And, you know, every uh, everything that they have had to walk through just since, since May. And, and, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that the road is long. And uh, you're you're being willing to talk about that now. Somewhere on the road is a uh, it's very gracious of you, um, but I'm I, I know that uh, living in this this space of unknown is is really hard, and it's a suffering space to be in. Um, so thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and share that with us, um, Beth. You wrote an article for for Grafted Life and for a publication that will come out uh, the same day as this podcast. And we'd love for people to be able to read that, but I especially loved reading it. Uh, You talked about where you find yourself, where you are. Uh, Can you just share briefly uh, some of the things that you've noticed about where you are in the midst of this suffering journey? Yeah. So I, I don't want to give everything away from the article, but I was reading a book by Patrick Otuma, and he's a poet, an Irish poet, and he kept using this phrase, hello to here, as a way of naming the reality of our life. And he had this one statement that he made that in prayer to begin where we are not is a poor beginning. Mm. And that, that really, um, I don't know, it, it got lodged inside me in a good sort of way. And it felt very invitational, like, as I'm struggling and suffering through what's going on with Harper and then some other things that have happened, it's really important for me to begin where I am. And so I started this habit of just naming here in the morning when I would meet uh, with the Lord and I would sit with my journal and my Bible open and whatever I was reading, I would often begin my journaling by just saying, okay, where am I? Where is here right now? Mm -hmm. And I think what, you know, what has been most prominent and is the first thing that I named is um, that there's a particular way in which we suffer as grandparents. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's true for anyone. When you suffer, you have a particular way of suffering through whatever it is because of who I am, uh, because of my relationship to Harper and to her family. And I think what was maybe a little surprising is that um, I suffer because I'm not in a part of that nuclear family mm-hmm. so that I get to see her all the time. I get to hear how she's doing, you know, moment by moment. Mm-hmm. I get to know I'm privy to the results from the tests that she's taking or how she's handling the chemo. So I'm always a step removed. Mm-hmm. And there's something a bit painful about that because of course my my thoughts are just with her all the time. She's always right here. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what I'm doing, it's hard, you know, to get beyond that. So I suffer um, in that particular way. And it, my first response was, gee, this isn't about me. I need to buck it up and yeah. get over it. But I think this encouragement that here is where God wants to meet me. Yes. was really important. And so I've really tried to not succumb to that temptation to disregard my own peculiar and particular suffering, but to wow. lean it and say, here is where I am, Lord, and I need you right where I am. Yeah. I think Beth's name that really well is parents and grandparents. I mean, so there's just multiple layers to the suffering to the um, anxiousness we feel, the, the emotions we feel. I, I noticed fairly early on one time uh, where I was watching my son, Brand parent the boys and just doing an awesome job of to an 11 and 13 year old explaining, kind of translating yeah. something that could be very complicated, something that was very fearful doing just an awesome job as a, as a father. And I was weeping at that point, just for what he was going through, watching mm-hmm. my son go through this. And so um, it's a, the whole family system is suffering in both unique individual ways and as a whole, yeah. uh, which is beautiful because it, uh, is an invitation to see people kind of rally and, and respond and bring out their best. And it's a lot of unknowns. So none of us have been here before. And uh, uh, we're trying to figure out how to be with one another and support each other. And uh, so the suffering goes in several directions and the compassion just doesn't go toward Harper. It goes toward these boys who are missing out and, you know, it's not been a normal summer vacation for them. And, uh, yeah, just kind of, we're muddling through a lot right now. That's one of my favorite words right now is, um, is we, we kind of muddle through each day, each experience. Mm. You know, Beth, uh, the journaling that you described sounds like it was a way of even giving yourself compassion mm-hmm. right so rather than having that judgment of i, I should not be feeling this way mm-hmm. there was an invitation from god continually before you 
every day, it sounds like, to ask that question, where am I, to be curious. And we'll talk a little bit more about curiosity in a few minutes. But uh, um, I guess, did you notice that that was really God's compassion for you in in that process? And and how how are you experiencing God in the midst of this? You know, I don't know if I was overtly conscious of that being God's compassion toward me, but there was something about it that I knew was right. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is true, that this is where God, in fact, wants, desires, and is able to meet me, is in the present realities of my life. I've, you know, I'm thinking of several different things I've read over the years about if our spirituality doesn't press us toward the reality of life, there's something off with it. So, um, so I knew that that was right. And it was almost like a good reminder that, Oh yeah, I need to name the reality. uh, What is real to me right now and know that God wants to meet me right there. Mm -hmm. And I, I really have sensed for the most part that God has. I mean, there are times when I don't have this amazing awareness of God's compassion toward me or toward our situation. Um, but there are other times when I am, mm. I have a sense of God being with us in this. As I talk about in the article, I do find it sometimes really hard to pray. Mm. But I pray very differently now than I would have, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago anyway. But it's like sometimes the words just don't come other than just, oh, God, oh, God, that's the best I can do. But I I know that that's prayer. I know that I'm engaging. I, I believe that the most potent prayers are prayers that we pray with God for the other. And so I do have a sense that God is praying. The Holy Spirit, Jesus is praying for our, our sweet girl mm-hmm. and that I'm joining them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that prayer is just simply this prayer of love, a prayer of healing, prayer of strengthening, whatever, whatever it is she needs. It's just sending her that through the, the vessel of prayer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just utterances or just a groaning, right? The scripture would say. Mm-hmm. You know, I recently had a conversation with a friend uh, who said that it seemed like the the times of suffering in their lives were the most formational times that they could look back to. Um, and I think, you know, that times when their faith maybe grew the most, uh, when God became more real than before. Uh, and I would just ask you, would you agree with that? And, and if so, why do you think that is the case? Why is suffering so formative in our journey with, with the Lord? Well, I, I shared with you before we got on the podcast here, Adam, that I just lost my dad, uh, my 90-year-old father, two months ago. And mm. before Harper was diagnosed, my 87-year-old mom fell and broke her hip and had a total hip replacement. And I'm an only child. Oh, wow. So, um, 
Yeah. In addition to this with Harper, that's what I, we have been navigating. Um, but I've never been here before. So in an answer to your question, I think the reason, or one of the reasons it can be so transformative is transformation takes place as we journey into places that we don't have the answers for. Mm-hmm. That uh, we we have never they're right. like rooms we've never been in before. Yeah, and so the old ways sometimes don't work. And part of God's transformation is shedding uh, many things, false securities and uh, false beliefs, ways we think about ourselves or others or the world or God and. So those unknown places that suffering takes us seems to to break us open. Um, yeah. And I think part of the, I don't think it's the only result or fruit from the suffering, but there's an opportunity to become more compassionate. Mm-hmm. As we receive compassion, we we find ourselves more naturally offering compassion to others mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. maybe it's that it's a hard, hard hard for us to express what we haven't received and so suffering if we're if we're uh, blessed enough fortunate enough to have some folks around us offering compassion then um, we we kind of know what, what we need to become I think that's the transformation I, I notice is a growing compassion. Hmm. So caring for my mom. So virtues like patience, um, understanding, empathy for what it's like to lose your spouse or to lose control of your decisions. And uh, I, f- I feel more compassionate. Hmm. Thank yeah, you for I- sharing that, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I think I would respond very similarly to that question, Adam, that, you know, there's something about suffering that really messes with us because it starts to sort of um, get at some of those things that we are attached to um, and that we pursue for what we perceive to be our own happiness or fulfillment or whatever it might be. And suffering begins to detach those things and cause us to open up, as David said, to something um, more true about who we are, and also to cause us, I think, to become far more dependent on God as our whole and our source and our um, what fulfills us. I was thinking about... Um, we had to listen to this beautiful recording of um, Alana Lewandowski and is it James Finley mm-hmm. and James Finley. And um, he narrates it and she sings. And he, there's this line in this recording where he says that suffering is the field in which the pearl of great price is buried. Mm. Suffering is the field in which the pearl of great price is buried. 
I think it's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. There's some deepening of wisdom and wholeness and health that comes as we suffer and we begin to let go of some of those attachments to things that we pursue that we try to use to fulfill or to complete ourselves. Hmm. That paints that in a bit of a different way. The word consent keeps coming to my mind. So even thinking about the, that, that field that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a consent that we have to say, okay, I'm willing to lose these attachments. I consent to um, what's, what's buried in this. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I'm willing to, um, not that I, not that I have to, but I'm willing to let go of all of these other things in order to have this thing that's richer, deeper, um, truer, um, fuller in my life. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Another directee I uh, just met with not too long ago had shared that they're in a, in a really hard season and um, very honest with, with how they're feeling. They said, I'd like, you know, I'd, I'd like to explain my, my relationship with fear. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. And at one point they said um, that uh, in it all, they were questioning God's care, questioning God's care. In other words, I think some of the questions that we ask of God when we're in this field of suffering is do you really care about me mm-hmm. you know if if you cared uh why am i stuck here why why do i have to be in this place for so long where i don't know the answer uh, i've got this this fear this this worry this i'm lonely you know i feel like i'm in this alone all these kinds of questions that come up when we're in the middle of these these fields of suffering um <sighs> How I want to turn this a little bit, maybe just from your own experience to now put on your spiritual directors or your spiritual companion hat for a minute. You know, how do we walk with people in the midst of these kinds of trials and doubts or real concerns about God's compassion or care? Yeah, I think one of the first thoughts that comes to my mind, Adam, is that one of the ways that God cares is through the human person, the other that is sitting with you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm thinking that as we companion other people or we walk alongside our friends who are suffering, God wants to manifest God's self through us as compassionate, as a compassionate presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, To feel the compassion of God, often we need to feel it through, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, personal touch of someone else. Mm -hmm. And when we're not in community or we don't have those kinds of relationships, we can often feel as though we're not being cared for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Frank Laubach had a bit of a, 
twist that, I don't know, some people may find heretical. I don't know, but uh, he had a sense that God needs our help. Mm-hmm. And that, um, especially when people are anxious and mistrusting, they've got their defenses up toward God even, that if they can experience a person who's a compassionate presence, that that begins to soften kind of the person's ability to open to God mm-hmm. and that God needs our help, almost like this, this tip of the spear or this, mm-hmm. this first entree that humans, we get to be that to one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of like that picture. Like uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of the humility of God that, Dave, I mm. need your help. Adam, I need your help today. <laughs> I like that. The humility of God in that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as simple as I've, we've all heard people say something like be the answer to your prayers, you know, like that's as we're praying for other people who are in hard places, sometimes the answer is we need to be the one to show up and, and yeah. Um, not replace right. God. Uh, find ourselves in the place of trying to say what God would be saying. That's not what spiritual direction is at all. Um, but to um, maybe in a way represent or re-present God to somebody who is who has who has lost that vision or that sense of God's closeness, mm-hmm. or maybe even God's character. How can we re-present God in that way? That's by being caring, compassionate, listening, yeah. empathetic. Yeah. Now, speaking of community, I wonder what your community has been like um, in these last few months. I, I think community is a huge source of help for us. Mm-hmm. It, it could also be uh, unhelpful at times. Yeah. How, how can community be unhelpful when we're walking through times of suffering? Yeah, I think community can be unhelpful in some ways that we're probably, many of us are familiar with. Just trying to fix the problem or fix us uh, is not helpful. Um, Trying to say things that have kind of that ring of spiritual uh, emptiness Mm -hmm. almost, like empty promises that just don't don't connect. Mm -hmm. Uh, really missing where we are and trying to move us along to where they want us to be. You know, there's a fixation with, we, we want, you know, to be positive. We want to be good representations of, of Jesus because that's, what's going to sell Jesus. And I just think, you know, that doesn't really, uh, it doesn't work that way, does it? Mm-hmm. Be more real and honest with where we are. So people who are able to give us the space to be yeah. exactly where we are to be here, as I talked about earlier, those are the folks that mm-hmm. are really helpful to us. And, mm-hmm. and we have, thankfully, lots of folks like that. And really, mm-hmm. I, I would say very few people who I have felt very missed by. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been rare. So. Mm-hmm. I want to share a, a little story uh, about this. A fellow from our church that just, oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, he's just an acquaintance. His name's Bruce. And um, I get a text from Bruce and he says, hey, I've got something I want to drop over here. And uh, I didn't feel like seeing anybody. So I kind of 
kind of said, hey, I'm out. I don't know what I said and kind of kicked it down the road. And yeah. he was persistent. He said, hey, I'm going to be, I've got some errands to run. I'm going to be there. And um, I, I forget what I said. But anyway, he uh, said, texted and said, hey, I left a little something for you on your front porch. Mm-hmm. I crawled down there out of my my dark cave <laughs> of grief, opened this little box, and there's a little candle in it. Mm-hmm. And then a note from Bruce and he goes on to explain that uh, he's familiar with grief. He says, I have no words for you. All I have for you is a candle mm. and an invitation. And he said, um, on the uh, anniversary, which would be the third, July 3rd, is when dad died, of the monthly anniversary of your dad's passing, I will light a candle mm. and send you a photograph of it. And if this seemed like an invitation to you to mark kind of his his passing for a year, just take a picture and send it back. If not, no pressure. And so um, I can't tell you how that acknowledgement of I have no words. Here is a simple gift. Here's a simple practice, Mm -hmm. simple, sacred practice of lighting a candle uh, of how meaningful that was from mm-hmm. someone that feels like a stranger. He's part of our community, but he's he's somewhat yeah, anonymous to me. Mm-hmm. And on August 3rd and September 3rd, David got a text with mm-hmm. Bruce's picture of his candle lit and acknowledgement of dad, uh, David's dad's death mm-hmm. and his prayers for us. So it's really... Which is the solidarity of the long journey. Yes. You know, it's yeah. one thing yeah. to show up to a visitation mm-hmm. or, and it's great to bring a meal in the midst of suffering. It is another thing to mark the months and even years with a person mm-hmm. uh, after their great losses. Mm-hmm. What a gift of community. We mentioned the book that was written and came out before uh, before the pandemic in 2019, it's called When Faith Becomes Sight. A concept in this book that stuck with me from from then and continues till today is is a concept called fertile void. You describe it in your book, and I'd like to unpack it with you and and our listeners. Um, I'm just going to share some of the, the losses, the big losses that you had listed on page 54 and 55 of your book. These are common experiences, you say, of the void. Loss of a job, death of a loved one, declining health, aging, debilitating illness, broken relationship, unanswered prayer, nagging boredom, disruptive move to a new location, an unfulfilled dream, embarrassing or devastating failure. And there's a, there's a few more listed here, um, but you, you do a great job at naming what the void, uh, what might kind of lead you into a void. How would you explain the fertile void? Why, why do you add the word fertile to the beginning of that? Uh, what is the fertile void? Well, we would probably need to begin by saying we can't take prep, um, credit for the phrase. It uh, was developed by Fritz Perls, who um, is an individual who, a uh, psychologist who developed Gestalt theory, mm-hmm. which I don't know a lot about. But my spiritual director offered that term to me. 
And it really stuck with me because it's a description and the way um, Pearls describes it is it's where meaning making ceases and being begins. Mm -hmm. So that's how he explains a fertile void. So the being is what is fertile about this experience. Mm -hmm. Um, The void is being in a situation you can't make sense of. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just no, it's, it's meaningless. It feels meaningless. You can't resolve it. You can't, um, sometimes you can't replace what's been taken from you. You can't make it, you can't make it better. And so it is as often a season of, um, of inexplicable losses mm-hmm. where you feel like there's this void in your life. Sometimes it's very, you can point to it and say, this is what it is. Other times I don't know that you can, you can just go through this season where it feels like there's something missing, something mm-hmm. that you can't really put your finger on it, but something feels empty. So the experience of emptiness, but um, what we have noticed through our own spiritual journeys and different experiences with the fertile void is that if we are patient to, to be in it and not try to climb out of it too quickly, that it often becomes a very meaningful and important place for us to be Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. that we learn how to be, that we learn how to, um, maybe it's another experience of suffering where we start to detach from some of those things that we have clung to for our own either happiness or, um, you know, what we have used to try to fill our lives Mm -hmm. to complete ourselves. So um, it's probably another way to define suffering as a fertile void. What comes to mind is the phrase, we find our voice, finding our voice in the midst of it. A lot of our thinking, it's filled with the voices of other people Mm. and what they tell us is what we should value, what we should believe, what should give us meaning or whatever. So I think that in the the fertile void, finding our voice, I mean, it can look like journaling. Mm -hmm. It can look like having a conversation partner where you feel safe enough to speak some things out that maybe you've not said before. That's part of the fertile void, I think, is the fertile part is I'm I'm risking being here and yes. saying things uh, yes. that um, need to be said. I'm mm-hmm. risking feeling things that need to be felt, yeah. admitting things like the boredom. Um, who thinks of boredom as a virtue, but maybe, you know, if we can say, I'm just real, I have no energy. I have no capacity to keep doing what I'm doing. And you find your voice to say that, does it begin to cause you to pay attention and to validate that and say, I think maybe God is showing me, I need to move forward and not backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of curiosity in that. Today. It is. I think another telltale sign often is our reaction to the experience of a fertile void. Most of the time when we are in the midst of this fertile void, we want to avoid it. We want to get out of it. And we'll notice that inside ourselves, there will be this very strong urge to try to 
pull ourselves up from by our bootstraps. You know, like if you feel this unremitting boredom and you just have lost kind of life has lost its luster. There's this tendency to want to say, what can I do to kind of bring some spark back? And so we, we try to avoid the -hmm. experience. There's something very unpleasant about feeling empty Mm -hmm. and that's what a void is. It is, Mm -hmm. it's a vacuum, it's emptiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is such potential in the experiencing of that emptiness. And God really does meet us there and begins to, I think, really um, purify our hearts and begin to develop a deeper integrity within us Mm -hmm. as we stay where we are and we uh, consent, as you said, uh, to the situation we're in and to um, engaging with God. Mm-hmm. So when things don't seem so obvious, what are we sensing that we're trying to avoid? Pay attention to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, as spiritual directors, and I know you know this, Adam, you know, one of the things that we really are trying to assist our, our folks, uh, we're trying to help them do is just to become more aware because we recognize that the that awareness is kind of the first major step toward um, becoming more whole people in Christ yeah. and becoming aware of God's presence and action. We've yeah. got to wake up to it. Yeah. We've got to become aware. And so often we, we live half asleep, you know, we oh, just yeah. going through the motions of life, but yeah. completely cut off from living at a distance from uh, what's going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. There are gifts to be mined as we allow ourselves to be curious rather than, you know, that willful pushing away or pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps or just flat out resisting and turning away completely. And you talked about integrity. I think a, a more of an integrity um, that we would have. Uh, other gifts that you can think of? I think God is always up to something new. And so I wonder if these fertile voids are transitioned to the old ways Mm -hmm. into new seasons of fruitfulness or new visions of who God wants to be to us. And so, and maybe that's the curiosity piece. If we can hold it without trying to manufacture something new is to begin to wonder, I wonder what God surprisingly might plant here next. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, God is always up to something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, When we were talking earlier, um, you know, I was thinking in my own journey, when I'm in a fertile void or when I'm in a season of suffering, like that directee who, who shared with you that she's not so sure God cares I've often discovered that if, if indeed I am experiencing God as being somewhat silent or uninvolved, it's because there's something God is wanting to awaken within me. Mm-hmm. And so it causes that disturbance causes me to wrestle, to feel some angst, to embrace my disappointment, to begin to even lament what I'm going through. And so it transforms prayer. It can become this rich and important kindling for prayer, fodder for prayer, more earnest and uh, engaged engagement with God. Mm. 
No, that's one thing. The other thing I notice is it also helps me to begin to to dig down within myself and to discover some capacities that I have yet to apprehend mm. and to take hold of and to grow into. And I do think we, David and I will both talk about um, that God longs for us to have an adult relationship with sure. God. <laughs> not, not we, we are to be childlike, but not childish. Mm-hmm. So how can I become a more fully functioning adult who relates to God as an adult? And so sometimes I think it's those moments when we're in that place of a fertile void or in a season of some God is wanting to help us to become, to grow up really. Yeah. Such good words. I want to just commend this book to all of our listeners. When faith becomes sight, I think it should be required reading for all spiritual direction programs. So thank you very much to both of you for joining us. I know that uh, you have published something even newer than this. I'm going to ask you if you'll close uh, our time together with a benediction from your newest uh, release. What's the name of your your book that you have just? Right. Yeah, it's called Prayers of Twilight, uh, Daily Liturgies for the In-Between Times. Wow. Wow. Great. And this is uh, available through your your website, right? Right. We publish this through Falkirk Abbey Press. Okay. We have uh, some resources that we're publishing on our own now that we're very exciting excited to make available to folks. And this is uh, a daily seven seven liturgies or prayers for one for each day of the week, based on seven values that have given shape to Falkirk Abbey. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll read the last one, which is on wholeness. And it seems like it would be a good way to end our time together, what we've talked about. May we seek not only rest and refreshment, but also the Spirit's repairing of our inner and outer lives. May we receive God's grace as we peer into the twilight, becoming humble and human people, compelled by Jesus' tenderness and mercy to be tender and merciful with ourselves and others. May God's healing work and our increasing wholeness revive hope that Christ indeed lives in us the hope